Hey, this is Ethan from Edge of NFT. We have a bonus episode for you today. As we make the rounds to various conferences and events in the NFT space, we want to keep you inside on what we find out about. This special episode features my co-host Josh conducting a panel on NFTs, regulation, and the law. This panel was originally part of the Global NFT Summit, a tech circus event. Tech Circus is an independent company that produces educational events for the digital tech community. Hey, we hope you get a lot of value out of this special bonus episode on this rarely covered topic. Welcome to the Edge of NFT with your hosts, Jeff Kelly, Ethan Janney, and Josh Krieger. The podcast that brings you the top 1% of NFTs today and what will stand the test of time. We explore the nuts and bolts and the business side and also the human element of how NFTs are changing the way we interact with the things we love. This podcast is for the dreamers, disruptors, and doers who are pumped about this ecosystem and driving where it goes next. Let's start first with a quick poll. Uh, If you guys can queue up that poll, I'd be very appreciative. What is the knowledge level that everyone has in the audience in regard to this topic? Are we rookies where we're just starting to get to know this topic or are there some all-stars in the room? So please uh, submit your answers here. And in terms of results, let's see where we're at. Looks like a lot of a lot of newbies, but but actually some folks that have gotten pretty deep in the group as well. So, so that's great. So we'll cover both some basics and some more advanced material uh, today. Um, I'll start by introducing myself. I'm Josh Krieger. I'm one of the three co-hosts of Edge of NFT. We are a podcast that took off a few months ago into the utter limits of what's possible with NFTs, and we have leaders in the space on our show. Um, As a little gift to everyone in the audience, if you check out um, our most recent show with Anna Mocha that was posted yesterday, the reason I'm wearing race cars is we're doing a race car giveaway. So you can snag your uh, Anna Mocha limited edition Edge of NFT race car. And uh, if you haven't got an NFT, this is a great way to get into the mix. It costs you nothing and you can race um, globally for over $150,000 in prizes at the end of, uh, or in the middle of this month. So um, correct me if I'm wrong, folks, did everyone have a chance to introduce themselves to the audience yet? Yes? Great. All right, so we're gonna start with a quick disclaimer. As always, information is general in nature and not intended to be legal, tax, financial, or investment advice. Please do contact a local professional in your area regarding any specific facts and circumstances. So to kick things off, uh, disruptive technologies we talked about uh, does create a lot of gray, but not everything is cloudy. There is hope. There are some things that are black and white. Alexandra, can you talk to us a little bit about what basics of IP and copyright law poured over to the world of NFTs and you know help folks understand not everything is complicated as, as, as you get into these different areas? Um, I don't know if I can say everything is not complicated. And I think that um, James actually covered a lot of the um, IP issues um, in his talk. So um, I'm only going to add that. um, So the big main issues are typically you don't get the digital rights if you own a physical object. You actually have to have that uh, agreed to in advance. So um, if you are a musician, 
and um, you you got into the business more than 10 years ago, you very likely signed away your digital rights, which is one of the reasons why we see Spotify paying on average $200 to the performers on there because they pay the rights holders. They don't pay the performers per se. You have to hold the rights. Um, and um, so make sure that you know what rights you have. Um, there's an act called VARA um, that has V-A-R-A, which is uh, oh, it's for physical art um, and it describes some very specific areas and uses. If you have fewer than 200 copies, um, then you, you have a defined moral right to things like, you know, commercial use and things like that. Um, so be very clear. Uh, um, the one thing that I would say that's constant in terms of any intellectual property issue is clear, clarify what exactly you're offering, because we have the basic terminology of purchase and sale, and that really isn't what's happening. And uh, there isn't really room in, in the in the law for this concept of buying something but retaining a right, you know, like. Uh, someone, you can't sell your rights and then retain this right of royalty. It's really, um, which I believe James said, is um, what most people want is a limited private license. They want the, uh, someone to have the ability to look at or listen to their, uh, um, their product, but they don't want uh, the ability to um, have it uh, played commercially. You can't put it in a commercial, for example, without getting some additional consideration or, or money right for um the uh, actual creator um they want what creators usually want is for someone to just have the ability to enjoy it in their home privately not making money off of it but um that is not necessarily what the people on the other end of the transaction are thinking so often what they think is i have it it's mine i get to do what i want with it um and uh that includes like i can destroy it i could burn it whatever um, and that's not necessarily true, particularly under something like Vera, where you can't actually destroy your um, your art without the creator's approval, prior approval. So um, the, the biggest problem that I find is not even transferring the rights per se um, or, you know, these issues of making sure royalties get passed back and stuff. The, the really big issue is there is not enough clarity um, on the platforms um, regarding whether like what rights are being transferred and what happens if you exceed those rights like what does that look like and what's the penalty so uh, no just appreciate that, real, that. real quickly yeah. so I, I think that's critical i mean and that's why the license i mentioned is so important because a license is typically going to say what you can do and what you can't do and generally if these are copyrighted works and you exceed the scope of the license it's infringement and, and that's you know that that's going to be the result of, of what happens and so it's, it's critical if you're the IP owner is to be absolutely clear what you can do. And generally, as Alexandra said, most of the licenses are granting a personal non-commercial right to use and display the asset associated with the NFT. There are some models though that vary from that. So like typically that means you couldn't, you, you get a right to that one instance of the copy of the, the digital asset. You can't make t-shirts based on that typically. There are some licenses like Dapper has has enabled people to sell a certain amount of, of commercial product a year. So it, it doesn't have to be one way or the other. It just has to be clear as to what's permitted and what's not. Thank, thanks, uh, appreciate that clarification, James. Um, so I got a question for Andrew. Um, 
What do you see as the issues regarding NFTs? Um, you know, if you could elaborate on this discussion, how can they be resolved if they can? Yeah, for sure. So building off of both what Alexandra and James said, just coming at it from a practitioner perspective, I think one of the largest disconnects is really the actual decision makers in regards to what their educational level is in regards to the legal backdrop, as well as the implementation of the technology. So I take two examples, like I'm in a case in federal court, I'm in a case in arbitration. Who is actually ultimately the decision maker around whether the rights are assigned to somebody versus the other? Well, what's the process for educating those individuals on the actual information that we're kind of covering today? And kind of acknowledging that our audience maybe has a little bit of a beginner slant in regards to their education, that transcends to disconnect between consumers and providers like Alexandra was highlighted. So, and that's also representative in the Dapper Labs lawsuit that's going on as well. I mean, you have a bunch of consumers that are basically claiming that they didn't have enough information to make an educated decision about what it is that they were buying. And so ultimately, I think that while all these legal issues are specifically very, very important, Ultimately, the people who are going to be making these decisions and setting legal precedent are also ones that need to get information around not only the legal backdrop, but also how to potentially implement that legal framework into this new technology. And so, I mean, that's a generic kind of problem within blockchain in general, but also I think specifically here, where especially with regulatory agencies in the United States, as well as the UK, with the FCA and SEC, not necessarily having the bandwidth to go out and provide a significant amount of clarity around something such as NFTs. And so that's another kind of concern as well, is that there's that disconnect from the ability of regulators to provide clarity that the decision makers could ultimately rely on to make decisions about. And so it's really about solving that educational hurdle, not only on the consumer side, but also on the decision making side. Right on. So just to make things a little bit more interesting, we now live in a world of, of metaverses where it, it's not the physical world, it's not the digital world, it's somewhere in between. So there's questions in my mind around jurisdiction, um, where these metaverses were created and how that impacts the sales of NFTs within those environments. And then also more specifically, how do sales in metaverses and cross-chain platforms impact creators, particularly with ongoing royalties. Guy, can you kick off this conversation? Yeah, sure. So uh, when we talk about NFTs in general, it's um, we go into some um, extremely unclear way. And as soon as we apply NFTs and apply it to metaverses, things uh, becomes really unknown. So here first, uh, metaverse, what would be uh, your additional approach so far? So. For example, user from Europe goes to Metaverse operated by a company from United States. So he's a consumer generally. So, and what jurisdiction it will be applied? General to be United States because it will be written in terms of service. So in general, when we talk about Metaverse, everything goes to its terms of service, terms of use, because everything interesting will be provided there. For example, you can create something in the metaverse, create some physical, mm, like a uh, virtual object, like virtual house, or for example, you can create your avatar or some parts of your avatar. And it even doesn't mean that you will own it. You can just say that you own it, but if you'll uh, take a look at terms of service, it will be 
uh, written that everything belongs to the operator of this metaverse and you just have some limited license as, as well as um, other creators. Or it can, for example, provide your ownership in your, for example, avatar or some creation, but you will uh, obligatory, you will be obliged to provide license to a creator. So generally here, it can be several approaches. For example, if you purchase some item in metaverse so it it doesn't mean that it will be yours you will it will be the same as uh aspect that alexandra covers so you will, basically you'll have limited license you'll have limited license to apply some graphic representation of a source code or object code uh, gover that governs this metaverse and the most interesting things go when uh, for example several metaverses would like to have some points of exchanges. For example, you can uh, create a car in one metaverse and you would like to drive this car to the second metaverse. So here it's the nature of agreement also as it was previously covered. So here we need to have two combinations. First, it should be some kind of even three combinations. Uh, first, it should be agreement between two operators on metaverses. Secondly, it should be technical integration. And third, it should be integration on the level of terms of service. For example, one uh, metaverse operator can prohibit some items, some specific just either in the nature of its business or it would like to follow more strict rules. For example, if it goes, for example, in Arabic countries or it have some more strict limitation for morality or something like that. So it can just prohibit to put some object from one metaverse to the other metaverse. So here as everything really goes really complicated because currently even in license agreements, when you provide license for an object or you create NFT and follow some terms of service, you will uh, see some point that you have the right to use it, use it not like in real world, but also in metaverses. You can present it in metaverse in museums created in metaverses. You can present it with some without some limitation or with some limitation metaverses. So even uh, licensing rights for metaverses is less tricked than for real world, because I think that uh, currently people uh, doesn't see uh, real threats in metaverses. However, it's the same life, it's the same rules apply there. And also, for example, when we talk about jurisdiction, so usually, for example, Europeans uh, can enjoy a European jurisdiction notwithstanding of uh, 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 jurisdiction of operated you of the consumer protection laws. It's the same for the United States. You can go to US courts for to sue a European company. The same. So here, uh, generally, it can be some. Uh, uh, discussion what for example one intellectual property law will apply for example united states europe united kingdom so and there can be different rules some can protect uh intellectual property objects from the moment of creation some will require uh some definite tangible form some will be okay with just uh the tangible form is graphic representation it in metaphors that underlined afterwards in some uh lines of codes so it's really complicated issue. It's really challenging. I like this issue because as much as it's challenging, it's more, as I said, it's more it, interesting to deal with well, it. Well, it's also some job security, right? 
Um, Alexandra, can you talk us through maybe some of the uh, ongoing royalty components of, of sort of products that are created in the metaverse? So, uh, so this is actually a very interesting issue. And I love the whole concept of metaverses. I think it's going to be, I mean, when we talk about the future of NFTs, which is like my favorite topic, um, one of the really cool things is going to be this outsourced prototyping that you can do through the metaverse. Um, but we have a couple of main problems. The first one I talked about before, which is um, what happens when a royalty, when you have a royalty agreement and then an owner, you're not the one that puts it in the in the metaverse, like you have a, an artwork, an art piece, um, and somebody has a museum, right? You're not the person that puts it in an, an art gallery or a museum that you can purchase from. Um, then that person, uh, can they display it? It depends. Are they making money on it? Is that something that you already agreed to? Is there a presumption of commercial use or not? So those are all um, questions that haven't really been resolved. And again, that's kind of what I try to do in these little in these agreements that I attach so that it's very clear what rights are attached. And you can do a variety of, um, of rights. I do wish that the platforms like, you know, Nifty Gateway, OpenSea, et cetera, did a much better job of explaining rights. I mean, I wish they did a lot of things differently, but um, but I wish they they did a much better job of describing like the types of rights that you would have and explaining, you know, this one is offering this particular type of right, click on here, and then, you know, you can get that license. I imagine in the next uh, two or three iterations of any of these platforms and future platforms that will be resolved. The other problem that we're having though is people are, are looking into collaborations. It's like lots of them are happening. What happens if one party puts something on there on a metaverse and the other party doesn't agree? What happens if two people in a metaverse collaborate and they decide to create something new there? Who owns that IP? Who gets any profits from whatever's happening? And the profits are real. There's a guy who paid 250K to do a race course on Decentraland. And you know, like Formula One came out with those cars that you can get. So people pay him rent to race around his track. That's actual money that's happening. There's like this Satoshi's Tea House that's also happening. Now, all of those issues are aside um, from some issues like uh, Superworld. Superworld took the real world and rented off space in it. And the, the places that exist in the real world aren't particularly thrilled with their name, which they own, um, being used and purchased in another place without any authority. <laughs> Well, yeah, up, Upland as well, right? I what? mean, Upland, Upland as well has. Up, there's a whole a whole group of them came out, and they had this brilliant idea of like you could rent, you know, like the the first floor of the Empire State Building. Here you go, and we'll make money from it. Like you know, like real places in this theoretical universe, and and the Empire State Building is you know saying, well, you know. That's not okay. <laughs> so um, there are some lawsuits pending. I imagine a lot of it will settle because most of the people who are doing this have no money. But what they'll probably end up having to do is either pay for licenses or they'll have to shut it down and re reimagine this. And so, but, all but the other world is 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 not is just the underlying land. It's not the physical assets on the land. But but there's still concerns there. Is what you're saying? Yeah. Because they're still using the name. They're still, you know, there there are people who actually own it's because of the tie to the physical world where real people own real rights, including the digital rights to those things. That is one and of the I'm, I'm 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 kind of bummed because I, I bought up a lot of the uh land in Superworld where the uh, In N Out burgers were located. So I, I think <laughs> I have to re I have to rethink my metaverse strategy here. <laughs> 
it's it's uh you know very likely uh, i don't know i mean i'm just speculating but i think very likely they'll come up with some solution but i think what's happening is there are people who are now starting to get scared off and say well not really interested in getting involved like i was just trying to sell smart man so you know they're not they're not really going to go and and uh and and look into them anything that has this tinge of legal issue that um that is like a real what they consider a real legal, legal issue Weirdly, I should, I, I should, I, <laughs> I, I should disclose since we're having this conversation about Super Roll, they are one of our sponsors of Edge of NFT. So I, I can't um, participate in an unbiased conversation on Super World. Um, Let me add one thing on that. So it's, it's interesting. So, the, you know, there, there have been other going back even before blockchain in, in virtual worlds has been different cases that have arisen that are parallel to some of the issues that are going on right now. But one of the ones that was interesting, there, were, there was a, uh, a case against, uh, there was someone who used like a, a virtual billboard on an actual building and the building owner sued back then. And the court found that there was no, there was no cognizable IP claim that the building owner had because uh, they didn't have billboards. It wasn't like they were losing any advertising or anything. So I think this is a really fascinating question. I think we see, with metaverses, a lot of interesting legal issues. And if you look back at um, like Second Life had a number of lawsuits against them, some of those issues will parallel what's happening right now. Uh, but but I, I think it, it, there really is a lot a lack of clarity, but people are pushing the envelope. There's lawsuits and, and hopefully we'll get some more clarity as some well, of these get resolved. Yeah, it sounds like we could have a whole session just on this topic. Um, sure, yeah. Let's yeah, talk Jimmy, a little bit. So, and so, generally interesting things will start and for example you have a virtual museum for nfts in virtual world for example metaverse institutes start selling tickets to this museum so it can be also interesting case when you uh, receive some uh, lawsuits from creators or for example you put no trespassing sign on your property and look at what will happen for example so it's really really challenging a little bit I want to audit the first um, law school class on, on on metaverses. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Um, probably a whole semester worth of content there. Hi there. Let me interrupt one sec with a special secret. Here at Edge of NFT, we want to loop you in on the best kept secrets in NFT right now. So this might be the first time you've heard of it, but you need to know about Koi, especially if you are a creator or even if you're just a supporter of groundbreaking projects, you need to dive into Koi ASAP and you can do so absolutely for free. Here is the best way. Go to edgeofnft.com slash Koi. That's edgeofnft.com slash K-O-I-I, two I's. There you can find out how to install the Finichrome plugin, publish your first 50 NFTs for free, and start earning Koi whenever anyone visits your NFTs. Imagine a world where sites like Facebook and Instagram would allow creators to earn every time their posts are viewed. This is what Koi is built to support. Plus, Koi is built to scale globally without killing the planet. Go to edgeofnft.com Koi, install the Finichrome plugin right now, publish your first 50 NFTs for free, and start earning Koi today. So... I know there's a topic of DAOs coming up, but but let's just talk about them for a moment. Um, specifically, how do DAOs open up new possibilities and create new legal challenges? Andrew, can you kick us off here? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it goes back to the general conversation about who owns what. 
And specifically, when you implement DAOs, it obviously makes it a little bit more complex in who is actually making decisions around how to either facilitate the transfer of ownership or to sell directly. And so going back to our conversation about platforms like, say, OpenSea, could you envision the ability of the collective user base of OpenSea to be able to actually make decisions about the organizational structure of the entity as well as the operational basically outcome of the entity itself. And so that really obviously creates a significant benefit in that it's transferring the right of decision making away from the centralized group of individuals that might be held responsible in the issues that we've kind of highlighted before. However, at the same time, it could also mask a, an ability of certain groups who might have more decision-making authority in the DAO to be able to make sure that they're remaining anonymous. And so you can envision that same open C example where the voting rights of the user base is tied to something specific, such as how many NFTs you own. Okay, well, now there's an incentive for somebody to go in and purchase a significant amount and then have a larger voting power compared to a lot of the other users. And also tracking them down and figuring out who they are is a potential issue as well. And so, I think, I, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's been a movement even within the DAO community where DAOs are popping up um, every day right now to make sure that community, um, you know, privileges and voting rights are not necessarily tied to acquisition of 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 tokens or NFTs, but but more so contribution to the community. And I'd like to see that continue to be the focus because um, essentially the whole purpose of a DAO is, is, is a collective ownership based on sort of the spirit of true community and egalitarianism, if I'm not mistaken. Right, yeah, exactly. And that really goes back to the coded rules that are set in the beginning as well. So we need to make sure that developers are implementing that code that allows for the protection and equal distribution of decision making. Because ultimately, the, the DAO in of itself, it could potentially run rampant in that context. And we've definitely seen that. And that's why the industry is obviously kind of reverting and trying to find a solution there. Totally. James, any, anything to add here? Yeah, two things real quick. One is I think what's interesting is you know, the point you raise about trying to have kind of relatively equal voting power. I mean, some of these uh, DAOs permit like delegation of votes. And so, you you know, even if they're even if rights are distributed equally, you can still have a concentration of power uh, if there's delegation. And the other thing is, I think Andrew may have touched on this a little bit, but just to, to put a finer point on it is that while, while control may dictate who has liability, uh, you know, with respect to voting and, and other other actions, um, a number of the U.S. agencies, including SECs, CFTC and FinCEN have come out and said, basically, if you deploy code, you, you can be responsible for the foreseeable consequences. So there was at least one action where the SEC went after someone who had, had a distributed marketplace, um, and it was in facilitating the sale of, of tokens that were securities. And that individual was charged with the sale of securities, even though they are operating a, 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 a securities marketplace without complying with SEC regulations. Um, even though the, the alleged didn't have any existing, you know, further control over it. So if you're putting code out there, you may be responsible depending on the facts and circumstances. Yep, that makes sense. So, you know, I think just kind of going on this topic of responsibilities, we've talked about the metaverses, we've talked about DAOs. 
Um, I think we should talk about central exchanges and how they fit into this. Um, you know, finance seems to be in the news every day. Um, they're having a lot of challenges. Um, you know, we've got players like Coinbase in, in the U.S. that dominate the market. Um, what can we anticipate in terms of their role when it comes to NFTs? Um, Guy, what are your thoughts there? So here, you know, it's it would not be a very big difference from like uh, general uh, exchanges. So the same regulatory rules will apply. For example, so we have usually two pack, two lines of regulation. First, it's like some specific crypto regulation, just covering specific crypto business, and the secondly, it's anti money laundering regulation. For example, for Europe, currently European law at this moment. Uh, doesn't know what is NFT. So we, uh, uh, there is crypto uh, virtual currency that it's not like virtual asset, not crypto asset. It's like covering uh, classic uh, virtual currency. So generally, NFT will not fall in this category. So, uh, and all ML regulation, for example, for centralized exchange on the general uh, European general level, for example, it's Crypto to crypto, crypto to fiat. Uh, major countries implemented crypto to um, crypto to fiat. Major countries implemented crypto to crypto and custodian wallet provider. So generally, there is no uh, place for NFTs. And at the moment, Europe does not have any specific crypto regulation. It will go. It's expected that it will be enforced in 2024. It will be direct regulation, and it should cover. NFT according to current draft, but it will not be a really restrictive. It will not be a really painful. It just be uh, will provide regulatory requirements the same as for financial markets. But it's like the current draft. For example, United Kingdom have more broader regulation, uh, broader definition of crypto asset, and uh, they should be tradable, transferable. And in this case, NFT can uh, easily go under regulation. And in this case, ML uh, law, for example, of United Kingdom will require uh, registration of this exchange. If you provide some exchange or facilitate trades, you need to register for your conduct business. And here at United Kingdom currently, it will be trouble. They have big client, big queue to, for registration. So something like that. So no big difference, just the nature of asset and also it can be some uh um, some also issue but i think it will be most connected to the united states uh, when uh platform can be also money transmitter if you uh send crypto from as a payment from one uh from one user to the other user if it will be either decentralized or centralized however it's like uh, uh fincen it's up to fincen regulations then they do not have some uh, like, um, like definite requirements, so it's case to, it will be case to case basis because it can be either hosted and hosted and so on. Do, do any of our other panelists have anything to add there in, in sort of in terms of centralized and decentralized exchanges and NFTs? Um, the one thing I think is probably, I'm sorry, did somebody else want to say something? Or no, um, go for it. Um, the one thing I want to uh, just mention regarding um, centralized exchanges right now, there's a, um, a, a law uh, or a bill that's on 
the t- well, not even a bill. It's a, like a regulation that's kind of on the table, which I thought was going to go away um, because it was proposed at the very end of the Trump administration by an acting director. And usually the presumption is if you're a director, then you look to keep everything except the ones you specifically toss. But for acting directors, because they didn't really have the power of the office, they toss everything except for stuff that they pose again to keep. Um, but this one is the counterparty data rule. I don't know if you guys have heard of this one, um, but this is the, yeah, Andrew has. <laughs> so it's a, it's not great. Um, it's a rule basically that means that exchanges are going to have to know both sides of a transaction. So not only is that an issue regarding um, uh, uh, like the, an anonymity, it is also going to be an issue regarding unhosted wallets and things like that. And so um, as NFTs move into DeFi, which is a feature use of them, they're just an asset-backed token that can be used in DeFi um, as DeFi expands. Um, one of the issues is uh, staking is going to be um, severely limited if this passes and doesn't have an exception, which it doesn't currently have for unhosted wallets. So, um, so this will be th- this can limit the the future uses with respect to NFTs um, in terms of their ability to be used for finance, um, but uh, also just has a lot broader implications in general. Thank you. So we have a few more questions, and we got some great questions from the audience. I want to get to as well. Um, the pink elephant in the room, and all these conversations around NFTs and tokens is the Howey test. Um, and I want to talk about that in terms of what, what when it comes to NFTs, what makes them a security versus not a security? In particular, recognizing the case law here varies country to country. What are the landmines to try to avoid if you want to create NFTs, but you don't want to get into the, the world of securities? And let's start this off with Alexandra again. Um. So uh, pink elephant, right? Pink's a power color. That's good. Um, okay, so first of all, I just want to point out that the Howey test regards investment contracts. That is one particular type of security that is uh, that can be regulated under the securities rules. So when people think that they have you know, cleared, as much as you can say that, this, the Howey test, that does not mean that there is no other way it could possibly be a security. So um, I just want to make that clear that everybody who's living and dying on Howey, which, by the way, has um, a lot of case law that just trying to uh, summarize where it is and where it's going, um, isn't as useful as looking at current interpretations um, that the SEC has already provided in analysis and things like no action letters and other things, um, just because that's going to give you a sense of the current um, uh, view, because uh, sometimes things change, right? Or the or in practice, the uh, application of a particular principle that has come out in some uh, law like Howey, some principle that's come out like Howey, um, it's been uh, circumscribed by act uh, or by interpretation, regulation, or just practice. So, um, so that aside, right? Um, Howie says that you know you can't transfer for value um, uh, if you purchase something for value in um, uh, and you are uh, you're purchasing as a third party and it is um, for investment purposes, then it's a security. 
under this very small aspect of investment contracts. It's from an orange grove case. And essentially what it means is if you're investing in something and you're not planning on actually doing any of the operations, then, um, and you're just, you're in it and it's speculative. And the only reason you're in it is because you believe it will increase in value, then it's very likely a security. So I think honestly, um, the uh, last director of the court can actually kind of describe this in a much better way, um, which is the big problem during the ICOs, uh, the initial coin offerings of 2016, 17, there's so much wrong with them. SAFs are not a thing. Why did they become a thing? They're not a thing, um, but they're, they were not useful. They were, they were illegal. So I don't really know how that happened, but um, I actually do know how that happened. But, um, but so here's what, here's what he said. Um, he said that if, you, um, if you're basically selling a membership to a club, like a book club, um, that is not a security. If you're selling, like if the book club exists and it meets and you know, whatever, then, it, then that's not a security. If you're selling a membership to a book club and the um, club doesn't exist and the books aren't even published and the library hasn't been built yet, then it's very likely a security. So here it's basically the levels of um, speculative investment that you're looking at. So this is why the tokens that have utility but are put on a marketplace generally are considered securities because there's no utility at the time. Having a roadmap or a white paper is not utility. It's an intention of utility, but that doesn't mean it's actual utility. So this is there's like a big distinction between things that you invest in um, that you're hoping are going to gain additional value versus um, things that you're investing in because you want to be a part of it. So it even matters who's doing it. If you're buying tokens for something because you're a dev and you want to be able to work on that app, that's not necessarily a security then, right? Even if it's the same token because that person's doing something. Now, what if it's a DAO? And you're you're like there are now NFT groups that are trying to form DAOs that are trying to issue NFTs on the collective work of the group. Um, but you know, and the 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 issue is, well, um, are all the people who are not involved in the DAO, or, or sorry, who are involved in the DAO but are not involved in that particular issuance, um, is any membership in that DAO is that considered a security? And like, if I get a token for that DAO and then sell the, the token on the marketplace, did I commit a, you know, a securities transaction? And all of that is very murky because we don't yet know what DAO responsibility is, right? Like if I, so I, I'm in Shapeshift is one of the many changes that I use. Shapeshift is now transitioning into um, a DAO. And I get lucky, lucky me, right? I get these token drops periodically, like they're airdrops of Fox tokens, right? Because they're saying everybody's going to be part of it. Does that mean that I'm an active member of, uh, of the um, DAO that is going to be and, and is in some way is controlling shapeshift? Like as you decentralize, does that mean that something that was clearly a security before has now morphed into something that's not a security because I'm a de facto appointed member of a DAO, like I didn't choose anything. I don't do anything. I collect money, right? So that's not, um, there's there's a lot of gray area going on. And I think that DAO discussion that just happened is, is helpful in considering stuff like that. But the uh, very, after this very long answer, uh, really it's, you have to talk to a securities attorney. 
And if we can look at XRP, maybe we're not supposed to mention that, but they got a, apparently um, like 13 uh, opinions and 12 of them were ones they didn't like, the 13th one they used. Um, so if you're getting a crap ton of opinions that you don't like, please don't keep shopping for lawyers. Consider that some actual advice that you paid for and consider <laughs> acting on it accordingly. There is nothing wrong with registering with the SEC. So, okay, all of that aside. Oh, the last thing I wanted to say is there are people out there that are selling jurisdiction. Don't do that. Don't do that. You don't need to buy jurisdiction. But I don't know if you guys have seen that. I someone just sent me an email about that. Don't don't buy jurisdiction. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Think, can I, think can I add to that, Josh? So two things yeah. real quick. I think that was that was great, Alexander. There's there's a lot there. Um, a couple of the, on that last point. Yeah, we see this all the time. People are like, well, if I set up in in uh, Isle of Man or Jersey or or some so crypto crypto friendly jurisdiction, do I avoid U.S. laws? The answer is no. If you're selling to uh, U.S. residents. U.S. law is going to apply to you for at least those transactions. The other thing I think that's very confusing in this space with NFTs, and, and Alexander touched on this, but I, I just just to kind of amplify a bit is um, there's nothing wrong with buying something that's going to go up in value. People buy art all the time, in part because they like it, in part because they collect it and want to make money. Just because something goes up in value doesn't mean it's a security. The, the SEC has issued guidance on this in their framework for investment contract analysis of digital assets. Um, they don't specifically talk about F NFTs, but it, it, the principles apply because they, they too are digital assets. And really, I think one of the key distinctions, and, and Alexander touched on this, is it, is it going up because there's, there's just greater market demand for the item? Or is it going up because you bought something and the, the person you bought it from used the money to build a platform and that platform increased the value? So really, the, the, the part of the test under Howie is, is the, is the profit based on the effort of others, right? And so if the effort of others is someone building the platform and, and you're, the NFT you bought when you bought it wasn't really usable, didn't have utility, you couldn't display it or, or some other thing, then, then that might be a security. But if you can buy an asset right now, an NFT, it represents a digital asset, you can display it, um, and, and that is its intended utility, it's probably not a, uh, a security. Not, not that it can't be, but it, it has a very high level generalization that that's the distinction. Even if it later goes up in value, um, if, if it was currently usable when you bought it, that that is one of the, the the key distinctions. I think you also have the other part of the Howey test is, you know, there typically has to be some, um, you know, there's an investment of money in some common enterprise. And again, if you're buying a one-off NFT, typically because there's some aspect of uniqueness, the, there's many situations where an NFT won't meet the commonality, uh, the commonality of interest. So there's a number of, of principles in the SEC guidance that I think help many situations with, with NFTs. Um, the last thing to touch on that we, you know, is this, there's been a kind of a growing move towards fractionalization. So if yeah. you take a single item and you create multiple NFTs, which represent a shared ownership, depending on how that's structured, that may constitute uh, a security. Yeah, that's a great segue, uh, James, into our, our next question. Um, you know, I, I just uh, hosted a, an event yesterday with uh, actually less than 12 hours ago with, with a team that's fractionalizing art and people are starting to fractionalize art and music and land. Um, 
and you know the 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 intent there is generally to democratize the ability to purchase something that might be very expensive otherwise. Um, for example, um, this one group is fractionalizing a Pablo Picasso painting, which I think everyone in the world would be honored to own a piece of uh, a painting um, by 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 someone like that in our history of art. How does that type of IP being fractionalized impact the ground rules for what's possible? Yeah, so I, I think it goes back in part when you look at the Howey test from, from an SEC, from a securities perspective, people are investing money, which they're doing with fractionalization. If there's a common interest, which generally there is where you're sharing some this Pablo Picasso painting um, and there's an expectation of profit, I think what it really comes down to is the profit derived from the effort of others or not. And if it is, it's probably going to be a security because then all four factors of the Howey test are met. And if, if it's not, then then it may may not be a security. But that's kind of the analysis you need to look at and the particular facts and circumstances around each of the cases. Andrew, anything to add there? Yeah, for sure. And I think James and I kind of had a conversation about this as well Is the fractionalized ownership component of it, but there's a no action that letter that the SEC issued for a completely non-NFT related company called Pocketful of Quarters, and they pegged their token to a percentage of ETH and basically moved away from the ability of the common enterprise to really influence the value of whatever the asset was. And so in the fractionalized ownership context, we've seen a couple different projects that are trying to innovate and solve and mitigate their risks by pegging the fractionalized individual ownership to say something like ETH, which we have clarity to a certain extent from the SEC that it's not a security. And so you distance yourself away from that automatic categorization if it is pegged to something that is kind of outside the control of the company issuing the asset. Now, that's not to say it's 100% foolproof. And again, we haven't had anybody weigh in on it except for that no action letter, but it is kind of a, a, an innovative aspect going on in the industry. So um, I'm just going to jump in here quickly, Josh. Um, the, it seems like we've had discussion that centers around uh, metaverse, uh, DAOs, and also the um, the ownership of NFTs. Um, I'm just I'm just giving a time warning. We've got a couple minutes left, and we're going to move right into a panel about or a, a fireside talk about about DAOs with Andrew right after. So um, if there's any additional, if there's any follow-up final questions that you wanna take from the chat, Josh, um, and maybe Guy has some additional comments uh, before we end this panel, that, that would be a great way to end. Yes, yeah, sounds great. Thanks, Lisa. And I do wanna sort of just ask the folks on the panel what they're excited about in terms of NFTs. It's always a fun question because um, we can all get caught up and overwhelmed by the legality of it, but there's also a lot of potential here. So, um, you know, let's see, there's a guy, there's one question from a panelist. Um, you don't have to get specific, but do you own any metaverse land? And, um, and, and have you sort of explored that area? Uh, no, I, at the moment, I don't own anything in Metaverse, so I'm just uh, exploring Metaverse express from the legal way. But for sure, I would like just to to see how it works from like very deep, because well, like not not like uh, I mean like not like frequent user of Metaverse. Uh -huh. I'm, I'm I'm looking 
I'm looking at the questions here. Um, one question, I guess, Guy, for you as well is, if someone was to take a, a photo of a painting that they see at a museum or, or whatnot and, and want to turn that into an NFT and resells it, um, sounds like that could be problematic. Is that the case? Yeah, it can be problematic. So generally, it can cover even for legal relations. For us, it's like the, if, for example, it's a fresh painting that uh, that have image of somebody real, so it will be first it's it will be property like the paint uh, painting itself so secondly it will be intellectual property rights and the image for it it will be a right to use image of a definite person and fourth, it will de- data privacy rights of this uh, person who is was painted so generally yes so it will it can like at a general rule yeah it can be a, a, a violation so be careful. Can I add to that one second? I'm really, oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Sorry, James. And also forget to mention, but uh, IP rights uh, doesn't uh, last forever. For example, it can be 50 years, it can be 70 years. For example, generally, Mona Lisa is not covered by IP rights, by copyright. And uh, generally, you can make a photo and make an NFT, for example. However, uh, like, uh, everything that firstly is protected is like painting, like a physical object. However, there is no copyright at the moment. But for some kind of some fresh paintings, yeah, it will be also copyright for image. Thanks. And James, you had something to add there. Yes, I was going to add. So one of the areas very confusing to a lot of people that, that we're seeing is very common. Is if I take a photograph of a celebrity and create an NFT based on it, or whether I create an NFT or not. If I, take a, if I take a photograph of a celebrity and want to sell that picture, that's one issue. Is Am, am I infringing the right of, 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 uh, of publicity of the artist or, or this, the famous person? The second issue is if I take a photo of, a, of, a, of that same person and they post it on their social media, are they infringing my copyright in the picture? And the answer to, to the questions are this, is that if I create, if I take a, a picture of a, of a celebrity in public, I own that picture. They can't use it. There's been cases on that. And so we've seen, we, we had a number of people come to us with, with you know, NFTs around art of celebrities. And I think that's an area you're going to see uh, probably more litigation going forward. But I, I think the law is relatively clear on that. Thank you so much. And we could keep going for a while. Um, I think it's a, a sort of a sign of, of the importance of this topic and the, the dimensions and layers to the conversation. I appreciate all of you for taking some of your valuable time to speak with this group and educate and co-create the future of possibility with NFTs. I encourage the audience to reach out to folks if they have additional questions, do consult a lawyer. Don't get intimidated by all of this. This is some really complicated stuff, but but there's also a lot of potential and possibility if you, if you handle matters in, in an appropriate way. So I hope this was helpful for everyone and uh, look forward to more conversations about this in the future with many of you. Thanks for your time. All right. I hope you liked that one. We've reached the outer limit at the edge of NFTs for today. Hey, make sure to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. Follow us at all social channels by using at Edge of NFT and sign up for our newsletter at edgeofnft.com for the latest news and drops.